Hi. Hello. Welcome to the JB Font channel. I am your host, James Fontleroy. So good to see you all on this beautiful Tuesday. <laughs> oh, man, I'm not going to sing and make your ears bleed, but good to see all of you here. Today is March 28, 2023. I am your host, James Fontleroy. As always, welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Sit on down. Have a seat. Let's get to it. We got some stories to cover, some stories. So one of the things that, what the hell? Sorry. This thing is, all right, we good. <laughs> one of the things that I just want to say is, you know, welcome to all of you. Just to let you guys know, the JB Fine channel is available on all major podcast platforms, so you can go ahead and subscribe to me there. I'm also part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network, so you can come and see me on there on Sundays at 1 p.m. on the JB Show, also on Tuesdays at 4 for the RBN Live, and the Savvy and JB Show on Thursdays at 6. Also, thank you so much to everyone who has already given me a like, but if you have not and you like what you're already watching, then go ahead and give me a like and push me out in the algorithm. That really actually is appreciated by me. Also, thanks to the members. Thanks to the patrons on Patreon and Coffee, and thanks to all of you for subscribing. I'm on my way. I, okay, so one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hit 3,000 subs by middle of May, probably by May 15th. So I'm trying to hit 3,000 subs by then. I I have less than 400 left to go. I have like 390, I think I have 3,994 left to go, but I'm on my way. And so if I don't get there, that's okay. But at least I have a goal set for myself. I'm trying to get there, but hopefully I'll be able to get there. But thank you so much to everyone for supporting me. Thank you so much. If you would like to, you can also go to the site on Patreon as well as Coffee. It's scrolling down below as well as all the people, all the members and contributors. Without you guys, I would not be able to do this. And also, once again, thank you to all of the members for without you guys, I would not be able to do this as well. Now, uh, as well, if you guys want to go and get email notifications from me, you guys can go to my Substack, you guys can go to jbfont.substack.com where you guys can get email notifications to let you guys know that you guys can watch. So, yeah, thank you so very much for that as well. Usually, I get into the chat to say my hellos, and today is a usual day. It's not unusual to have fun with any. No, it's good. Yeah, or am I? <laughs> we have presidential candidate for 2024, <laughs> Uncle Warren Extabuya coming in saying, howdy, fam. Yeah. All right. He promises hookers and blow <laughs> for his administration for all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did, I, look, you, you came into the chat at the right time. I'm actually in a really good mood. It's a sunny day outside, and I had my smoothie this morning. How you doing? Good to see you. Miguel is also in the chat. Can you give me a piece? Good to see you, Miguel. All right, we have our bestie of besties, Sweary Fairy, coming in, giving us love and strength and peace coming in. CBC voter coming in saying, hey, JB and extra boy, extra, 
Give an extra boy a little extra love. Good to see you. All right. We have Krona Ursa saying hello. Good to see you, Krona Ursa. All right. We have V coming in. Sam Booyah, I see the serious politician in you. I have been told I'm intuitive. Dun, dun, dun. Intuitive. So good to see you here as well. Terry Connolly coming in saying hi, fam. All right. Good to see you also in the chat. All right. We have Bryce coming in saying sup, JB. Sup, Bryce. Good to see you. Always and accounted for. We have Wadi coming in saying, hey, everybody. All right. Wadi coming in. Coming in hot. All right. That's what I like to see. All right. Anybody else? We have Randy Bray also in the chat saying love and waves. Loving waves. Wavy love. That's what we all about here. Say I love you to people. Especially if you definitely mean it. Don't just let them know through your actions. Say it with words. As well as with actions. Let people know you care. All right. So good to see all of you up in the chat. All right. And anybody that's watching on Rockfin, welcome to you too. Good to see you. And if you're watching on Twitter, hello. Good to see you. You guys can always chime in too. I think I get the, the responses from Twitter too. So it's good to see you. So now, one of the things that I wanted to get into was this first story and this first story is going to be some some good news um and i like to start off you know with this one because i i found it pretty interesting and this is going to be a shout out to roger meadows roger meadows showed me this story and i was just like hmm this is very interesting so i am going to be wait should i show the video first, or should I show the article first? Let me show the article first. So I'm going to show the article first. And, oh, I forgot to put that up. It's okay. It's all right. I got something that you going to like. Promiscuous girl. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> All right, people. Now, I'm not sure if anybody has ever heard of Maximum Fun. Sounds fun. But this is a podcast network, and it says it's becoming a worker-owned co-op. So this was very interesting to come across my view. I'm like, what in the world? A podcast platform that's now a co-op, and it's called Maximum Fun. And I'm not sure if a lot of other media companies or corporate media will ever cover this because it kind of goes slightly against, you know, the, you know, corporate narrative of having ownership in a very few hands. This one is having ownership in many hands and the workers hands. So I don't think that a lot of people are going to talk about this, but I hope a lot of other people in independent media actually talk about this. And maybe try to have, you know, some of the people from Maximum Fund over. I would like to, if anybody from Maximum Fund gets a hold of this, I would like to have you on to actually talk about this new venture that you're going into of having worker ownership. I actually am a fan of worker ownership because that means that, you know, you guys are going into a more of an egalitarian, equitable and equal type of workplace, which I am a fan of. Uh, I'm a socialist, so I'm a fan of that. So 
if you guys, you know, would like to reach out, then please feel free to reach out. I'm also on Twitter, by the way. So the article starts off, says Maximum Fund owner Jesse Thorne is selling the podcast company that he founded almost 20 years ago. Rather than surrendering the network to a big tech company or media conglomerate, he is selling it back to its workers. Maximum Fun is best known for distributing hit shows like the McElroy family's My Brother, My Brother, and Me will become one of the only worker-owned co-ops in media. That means the full-time employees can take a stake in the ownership of Maximum Fun, earn a share of profits, and have greater input in overall company decision-making. The podcast network follows in the footsteps of Defector Media, an employee-owned company founded by former Deadspin writers who quit en masse due to disputes with owner G.O. Media. Quote, for the first 10 to 12 years, I was working 60 or 70 hours a week and making 16000 a year. And since I have kids, it's still working seven jobs at once. When some family situations came up that were really intense, I just thought, I can't maintain this. Despite Thorne's in initial struggles, Maximum Fund now distributes more than 40 podcasts, which have cultivated a dedicated fan base. Thorne said that over the years, some tech companies have expressed interest in acquiring Maximum Fund, though he wouldn't reveal which companies. In the past, he had a few meetings about potential acquisitions, which never moved past rudimentary stage. But when Thorne decided that he wanted to relinquish ownership, he considered the avenues once again. So this is a very interesting um, thing that actually happened. And I'm sitting here going, well, this is interesting. Uh, a media company that puts out different podcasts. It's not like Spotify. It's not like Apple. You know, it's not like iHeart. And, you know, they are similar like that, but they're going employee-owned, which is something that I am a big fan of. So I thought this would be interesting, and I wanted to share this all with you, but there's also a video that I want to share as well. And I thought this to be very interesting because the thing is that one of the problems that those of us at independent media have is that you have all this power at the top, right? And because you have all that power at the top, what ends up happening? Well, then they're the people who are working don't have a say. And then on top of that, they're influenced by the big corporations that advertise. And so because they're influenced by that, they shift their narrative, they shift their focus in a pro-corporate narrative. Versus if it's more geared towards the workers, especially if they are a working class, like all of us are, well, then guess what? They're going to keep their focus more on the real issues. Now, 
this is not to say that it doesn't have its flaws, you know, and people are definitely flawed. But the thing is, is that having a company that's a, a, a podcast company that's worker owned, worker centered, is something that is quite different from the political man landscape that we have, the 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 information landscape that we have too. And so I think this is something that is something that you know a lot of us should you know jump at the chance to even talk about or even get on board with, right? Because if you have a company like this that sets the stage, that sets a an example, then this could happen for a lot more people. And if this starts to gain more steam, then a lot more workers will be on board for things like this. This isn't the necessarily the socialist revolution that we that we talk about that we want. But look, we're all in favor of unions as long as union leadership goes by the rule of the rank and file, of course. But we are in, are in favor of unions. But why are we in favor of unions, right? We want unions because they are worker power in order to tell the owners what their wishes are so that there's at least a balance, right? But a lot of times that balance is usually kind of cattywampus, right? You have these owners, what I like to call the corporate dictators, that hold the cards. And so the workers, they also hold some cards too, but the owners typically also have the government in their pocket. But if the workers are the owners, then the need for unionization goes away because the workers literally hold the cards the entire deck. And so I think that's something that is, you know, something that a lot of us can get behind because the more worker-owned businesses that you have, then guess what? Then the more worker-owned businesses will be able to say, well, we are more in favor of just everyone having equal footing across the board when it comes to education, healthcare, housing, all these different things, because there's not a, a winner take all, right? It's like, we all win, we all share. And I think that's the point, right? So let me get to this, this video. And this is, they have their own YouTube channel. I had no idea. I'm just now finding out about this company, but they have their own YouTube channel and they actually put out this release on their YouTube channel. So let's take a look. Hey, it's Jesse, the owner of Maximum Fun or the current owner of Maximum Fun because I have a big announcement. I'm not gonna be the owner of Maximum Fun anymore. Or actually, to be completely accurate, I am going to become, along with all of my colleagues here at Max Fund, an employee owner of Maximum Fun because we are about to become a 100% worker-owned cooperative. So yeah, I'll be owner of Maximum Fun. And I will too. And me. And me. And so will I. This guy. And I will too. All of us. 
when you join Maximum Fun, you're directly supporting the people who make the podcast that you love. And you're supporting all the folks who work behind the scenes. Now, I could personally break down how all this is going to work for you, but I would rather that we do it together. Let me settle in here. Maximum Fun is going to be completely owned by its employees. I'll be doing the same job I do every day. And we'll be working on the same great shows. We'll just get to have a little bit of a say in some of the bigger decisions now. And we, the employees, will be electing the board of directors. Jesse's not going anywhere. Our managing director, Bikram, not going anywhere. But now he's going to report to the board, and the board represents all of us. The board is in charge of guiding the ship, overseeing management, and making all the big decisions. And when the company's in the black at the end of the year, then we all have a stake in that. Every employee of Maximum Fun who wants to join this co-op will own the company together. We got called in for this big meeting in person, sort of during the pandemic. And once Jesse got up to talk, I went, oh, Jesse's going to sell the company. And I wasn't wrong, but I was a little bit wrong. Um, I thought he was going to sell it to some big network, some conglomerate, uh, but that is not what he wanted to do. He wanted to have the company become a co-op. I know that Jesse could have if he'd wanted to. He could have sold us to, you know, Sirius or iHeartMedia or I don't know if I'm supposed to be naming names or not, but... I've worked for enormous media conglomerates and just been an invisible cog in the system. And this is the complete opposite of that. A lot of companies in the podcast industry try to maximize profits or get the biggest celebrities or do what's going to make them the most money. And Maximum Fun, I think, has always tried to do what feels right. I know that what I do here matters to me, to my coworkers, and to the people who enjoy what I do. I think the nature of cooperatives is that they are sustainable because the people for whom the existence of the company matters the most are the ones making all of the key decisions. We care more. We're all part of it. We have all that skin in the game. If I do good work and my colleagues do good work, it will all benefit us directly. And like, let me just say, this is a pretty big deal. There aren't any other podcast companies that we know of out there working this way. There's barely any media companies out there working this way. We're really proud of this. I've worked in business a long time, and I've also tried to figure out how to work in business and feel good about myself. And I feel so great about this. And you know what? Honestly, frankly, we couldn't have done it without you. Uh, I'm really excited about this, and I hope you are too. If you think this is as cool as I do, I hope you'll do what you can to back us up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for making it possible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Never happened, it's serious. Oh, oh man, that was funny. Uh, that last part, <laughs> but yeah, so this was something that what do you guys think? Because I think this is a, a, a very positive direction, and this, this news, uh, shout out to Roger Meadows, who's also in the chat. Roger, thanks for the super chat. Says, just got here at 216. What I missed? Well, I already covered some of the article, uh, which you shared with me. And now I'm getting into them, you know, saying it, you know, about uh, their new worker ownership of the site Maximum Fund. And, of course, you know, when we talk about 
dictatorship of the proletariat, right? We talk about, you know, workers owning the means of production and then also being able to, dish, you know, have a say because we are the majority, a say over not only what happens in our workplace, but also what happens in our government. Because as we all know, the government does not listen to us. And because the government does not listen to us, none of what we actually want gets done. None of, we, none of what we actually want gets passed. And so we're always left, you know, holding the doo-doo covered stick, so to speak, right? And so we're constantly, you know, trying to fight in order to have something better for ourselves, but it never happens. It only, it only happens for the people at the top. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's deeply important for us to see, you know, companies like this, you know, because a lot of times we, you know, we don't, we don't see this a lot. And, you know, talking about this just reminded me of a study that was done. And this was a study um that was shown it was out of cambridge where it talks about how there is a lot of uh of interest taken as to what the corporate dictators have to say but when it comes to us there's really nothing that they really want to hear from us because we're not the ones that are giving them we're not the ones that are giving them uh the money to stay in office like they particularly want so here is let me show this is out of cambridge so this is basically you know I talk about perspective on politics. And so on the axis, as you said, you see predicted probability of adoption and then percent of cases and then percent of favoring proposed policy change. And this is the average citizens. And as you guys can see here, let me make sure this is big enough for you guys to see. It shows that it really doesn't go up much as far as you know from the voters to politicians they don't really listen to us but then when you go to the upper echelons of society you know the, the rich the super wealthy they have a huge say right into what gets done by the policies that they want And so this is something that people just don't realize until they really start to become more politically astute and see what's going on. And so I think this is why it's such a good thing to take a look at things like this. And I'll put the, the link to this also in the chat as well. 
So you guys will have access to that whenever you want. So you guys can actually show that to your neighbors. But this is something that is, you know, deeply important. And this is why when it comes to worker owned businesses, this means that the workers will by and large, there will be less of a gulf between, you know, as far as, you know, the lowest paid worker and the highest paid worker, when in reality, they all have a say in the company. So I think that that's, you know, something that is important to talk about. So. So let me go to the chat really quick. I like this by what he says. Why so serious? <laughs> that was funny. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Roger, I, 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 you know, I read your comment in John with the spoon's voice. Oh, Max fun. I sent that to him. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Remember what he said? Every time I'm in the kitchen, you in the kitchen. In the goddamn refrigerator. Eating all the food. All the hog balls. All the collard greens. <laughs> Remember that? I'm sorry. Oh man, that was so funny. But yeah, so I think this is, you know, a, a, a net positive, you know, when it comes to things like this. And yeah, V, you're you're correct. We gotta point out the positive when it comes to things like this. You know, and so, you know, I thought this was a, a, a you know, a positive story to bring out, you know, because a lot of times we talk about negative stories or stories that are disheartening. I know this one that just happened over the weekend that a lot of people are talking about, um, but I think it's good to bring things like this out as well, because these are important and it keeps us motivated, right? I think this is what's important for us as well. So Roger Meadows, thanks, bro. This was a good one and I appreciate it. And there's some other stories that you have talked about that I want to talk about too as well. And uh, there's some other stories that many others have uh, recommended to me that I've seen that I also want to talk about as well. And I'll be you know, making sure to get to those too, in addition to the stories that I find very interesting as well. So thanks to everybody. By the way, hit the like hit the like button if you guys have not. If you guys already liked the stream, thank you so very much. That means a lot to me. So let's go to the next story. Trying to make sure I keep myself on time because if I don't, I run over. And I don't want to run over. So we are going to be going on to the next story, and I really should have put that up. Oh, wait. Roger says, that was supposed to be a play on Flavor Flaves. Who from my hometown of Roosevelt, Freeport, Long Island, baby? Ah, okay. Yeah, boy. <laughs> okay. See, I went John Witherspoon. You went Flavor Flav. I think. I think that's the difference between us. <laughs> but I, I I know, I know. 
I know, Flav of Flav. <laughs> All right. Sometimes I want to ask him what time is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so silly. Anyway. So let me get this here. Because I, you know how sometimes when you prepare something and you think you're fully prepared, but then you miss something and you're like, dang it, I missed this. So, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm going through that literally right now as we speak. But worse of things have happened before. We will be okay. So let me get my stuff on my list. Um out here. So the next story that we're going to be touching on is what happened with Cisco. And if anybody does not know, Cisco is a food distribution company. And especially if you worked in the, especially if you worked in the food service at a school or if you worked in food service at a company like there's some companies where they'll have food service employees like they'll have like a cafeteria or something or if you work at a restaurant if you work at a restaurant then you know you'll you'll see that as well um so that's also um where cisco is is widely known and so i just I'm trying to make sure I get all my links put up here so that I'm not stopping and jumping around. Okay. All right. So we got that, that, and that. All right. So Cisco. That's what Cisco is. And sometimes I look at the chat and I'm seeing some, something, some of the funny stuff you guys are saying. I want to stop and laugh, but I have to control myself. Uh, so here is what's going on. So let me enlarge this. This is out of More Perfect Union. If you guys don't follow them on Twitter, I highly recommend that you guys do because they do a lot of worker-centered news. It says, breaking, workers at Cisco, the world's largest food distributor, have walked off the job in Louisville and Indianapolis in unfair labor practice strikes. The workers at both sites are unionized with the Teamsters. It says... The union says that the picket line could soon extend to other locations as well. This is kind of related to the last story, but this is one of the reasons why I talk about worker ownership. But this is also going to be a very good story. Now, going to what the Teamsters are saying, it says, strike alert, Teamsters at, at uh, Cisco, Louisville and Cisco Indianapolis on strike in response to unfair labor practices after weeks of contentious contract negotiations at both locations. Picket lines could extend to more locations across the country. 
says, we're asking to be compensated fairly for the hard work that we do, said Michael Bonner. Says the company would rather put its employees and customers in a negative situation than just compensate us fairly. So here they are, the workers there at Cisco. So you see all the workers there, unfair labor practices. Continuing on, as Bonner and his team and his co-workers organized with Local 89 in August of last year, overcoming a vicious anti-union campaign from the company. Since then, management has failed to bargain in good faith for the 100 delivery drivers. And so that doesn't seem like a lot. 100 delivery drivers doesn't seem like a lot of people unionizing. But one thing to keep in perspective, these delivery drivers, and I've worked in restaurants, I've worked at dinner shows, and what have you. These delivery drivers, they'll deliver for to two, three restaurants, just one driver themselves, right? Just one driver will have a truck that will deliver to two, three restaurants. And so if you have 100 delivery drivers, truck drivers, that are literally saying, yeah, we're not going. We're not doing this. That's a lot of places. That's schools, restaurants dinner shows, many different venues that, I mean, hell, some colleges probably get Cisco. And so, you know, I, you know, I've been where they've gotten food from Cisco. I've been where they've gotten food from U.S. Foods. U.S. Foods is another competitor of Cisco. And so they deliver to these different places. And so, like, for instance, you'll you'll see, like, instead of going, it's, it's, it's like going, in, instead of going into a grocery store, right, and you have different brands, it's all Cisco. So let's say you want a, a peanut butter, right, because you're making peanut butter jelly sandwiches for all the kids at school. We have this big, whole, huge can. You open it up, it's just peanut butter, and it's Cisco brand, right? Or if you want, you know, uh, flour, Cisco flour to, for baked goods and, you know, Cisco butter and, you know, all these different things. So that's basically, you know, how they operate. It's just one big brand and then they distributed many different types of products to different food companies. And so that's what it is, right? Um, so let's continue. Make sure I stop that. As we've had it with this company in their disregard for workers, we are tired of being taken advantage of, and we are concerned about benefits, workplace safety, and work-life balance. That's something that my generation is really focused on a lot, especially a lot of us millennials. We are definitely focused on work-life balance now. The teamsters are not afraid of Cisco. We are ready. We we're ready to do whatever it takes to get these folks the contract they deserve. That's from Avril Thompson. 
It says nationally, Cisco faces multiple federal investigations for violating U.S. labor law. Teamsters are in negotiations at several Cisco locations across the country, and hundreds of Teamsters are currently working without a contract or have contracts about to expire. Teamsters represent more than 10,000 Cisco workers nationwide. We're going to hold greedy employers accountable. That's from Tom Erickson. Teamsters nationwide are standing together to win the respect they deserve at this company. So this is what's going on at Cisco. And so there's also the article from Teamsters themselves that I'm also going to share with you guys as well. So let me stop sharing here. Can I get to the yams? Sweet yams. <laughs> let me stop. Sorry, I'm thinking about food. I'm hungry. All right. So this is from Teamsters.org. Says Teamsters on strike at Cisco. So this one says more than 300 workers at Cisco Louisville and Cisco Indianapolis walk off job contentious conscientious contract negotiations. I'm sorry. Unfair labor practices. Cisco Louisville and Cisco Indianapolis are on strike in response to unfair labor practices after weeks of conscientious, I'm sorry, contract negotiations at both locations. Picket lines could extend to more locations across the country. This is basically saying a lot of the same things that they already said in their tweet. But so you guys can have this as well. So you guys can share just in case there's some places that, you know, are a little bit low on food. You guys can say, well, this is why. So there's also a video that I want to share where they're talking about it and you get to meet some of the striking workers as well. Also happening here today for more than 12 hours now, food delivery drivers for the food distributor Cisco have been striking over what they call unfair labor practices. Drivers unionized in 2022, and earlier this month, they rejected the company's last, best, and final contract offer. Well, you see their delivery trucks all over town. Grace McKinnon and photojournalist Philip Merle went to the picket line today. Grace explains how the strike could have impact across Louisville. Drivers got out here before dawn at 3 a.m., staying out for hours just outside of Cisco's gates, picketing, and they say they'll stay until the company comes back to the table. They love us. Outside of Cisco's Louisville facility, drivers line the sidewalk. Hardworking people deserve to be treated fairly. Union members launched an unfair labor practices strike Monday. Earlier this month, they also rejected Cisco's last, best, and final contract offer. We want things to be fair 
employees to be treated fairly with respect, the rules will be followed. Union leaders say Cisco won't come back to the negotiating table. In a statement, a company spokesperson said they respect their drivers and offered a 14% increase in pay in year one, adding the company has contingency plans to keep serving customers, a concern for those who rely on these trucks. Or are they going to be able to get their products? Maybe, maybe not. On JCPS Nutrition Services, nerves are steady. Dan Elner says they have multiple suppliers and order in advance. There's going to be school lunch. There's going to be school breakfast. It just might look a little bit differently. Elner says they also have tools in their belt in case the strike continues longer than a couple of weeks. Adding through the pandemic, they dealt with even more pressing supply chain issues. It's one that has come home to roost here in Louisville because it's right in our faces. But this has been happening across the country and across the world. Back on the picket line, union leaders are considering those consequences. I mean, I have a child in JCPS. The last thing I want to think about is that. But they say issues of overly long hours, safety concerns, and ignoring driver rights have gone on too long. Well, it's not always just driving a truck. Drivers say shorter hours for better work-life balance would get them to the table. I think that would do. Here, it's less about last, best, and final, and more about fair, safe, and respectful. The Teamsters Union does say that they are prepared to stay on strike until Cisco is willing to come back to the table. They say they're ready to get back to negotiating. In Louisville, Grace McKenna, WHAS 11 on your side. JCPS is on spring break next week, helping the supply situation there. Elnor wants parents and students to know they will continue to serve students meals throughout the strike. Okay, so just one second. Okay, so that's what's going on right now in regards to, um, in regards to the workers there and it's it is you know something that they have been going on for it's been going on for months now and you know of course like i always say solidarity with the workers because it's just it's unnecessary for them to treat workers like this so, you know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, number one, supporting unions is very important. But also, this is why people like me and RBN, we talk about workers strike back a lot. Because workers are constantly being tossed under the bus, even if they're in unions. See, here's the point. Strikes are a tool in order for workers to have a say in how the company compensates workers and how they treat their workers. The problem, though, is some of these companies are willing to let unions strike because they have contingencies in place in regards to that. So that's one of the biggest issues that they have. 
So that's one of the reasons why I think this is uh, an important an important thing to, to talk about because the workers are constantly being badgered, right? As far as their, as far as what they're going through. Sorry, I'm also chatting with support. But that's one of the things that's going on right now as far as uh, Cisco. <sighs> Just give me one second. I'm having some issues with a couple of things here on StreamYard and so yeah just want to make sure that this gets fixed before i have another stream but yeah so i mean that's what's going on right now and a a lot of People are bear with me, please. Then and this okay. <sighs> Thank you. Now, so my apologies, but the thing is, is that, you know, when it comes to what's going on with Cisco, that is a larger version of what's really have been going on in the country. And it's, it's with, with Cisco and unions, how can I put it? It's like having a, a, a thinner armor from the bullets of a corporate dictatorship, but it still can get pierced, right? Because look at what they did with the Railroad Workers Union. Look at what they have done with, they're trying to do with unions, just unions here, but they're trying to make it so that unions could, could be sued if they go on strike. Workers can be sued if they go on strike for lost business and lost revenue. And so they're literally trying to change the narrative so that it is more in favor. Mind you, 89% of workers in the United States are not in a union. That means only 11% of workers are unionized. So 
most of us are already screwed in that way. And so they're trying to destroy whatever last vestiges of unions that exist. And the problem is we cannot allow that to happen. Okay. So that's one of the, I think the biggest, and this is why I think when I was talking about maximum fun, it was such a good story is because, you know, we need to, we need to shift the focus from not just having workers having power, but workers owning, right? Because it's one thing for a, a, a owner to have company and then you'll have an owner that's that's nice that he'll say, well, I want my workers to, you know, to have, you know, they can be kind of like a Dan Price type of guy, right? Where they, you know, Dan Price, he, you know, only makes $70,000 a year now. And he, you know, increased across the board all his workers, blah, 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 right? But what if that somebody like that sells the company, right? Or what if that person dies? Or what if that person, you know, what if they go to a hostile takeover or something? Guess what? The workers no longer are able to have a, a benevolent boss anymore. The thing is, is that we, people like myself, think that workers need to be the boss. Workers need to have a say over the way an establishment operates. And this goes beyond unions. This goes beyond, you know, having to go on strike. Workers that are also owners, workers that are worker owners, they just have to do votes and decision-making process of the establishment. Strikes, it's not even really necessary unless some of the workers don't want to do a particular thing. Well, then it's basically the majority role, right? And so if workers all have a say in how the place operates, the need for strikes goes away. The need for workers having to put themselves at risk for not having health care, for risk of not having wages, the risk of scabs coming in to do their job or take their jobs from them, they're not running that risk anymore. I think this is the important point. And so this is why 
I'm such a fan of workers, you know, owning the workplace. And go to any worker. Just go to any worker, right? I've done this. I've done this on my way to dialysis, right? And I've talked to drivers. Ask a worker, how would you feel if the owner of the company sold it to all of you workers collectively? You all not only have a decision on the major operations of the company, one, collectively, you each get a democratic say, one person, one vote in the company. Then, on top of all that, you also get to share the profits among everyone in the company. And you guys decide how it's divvied up, right? And you also are part owner. Ask a worker how would they feel. If instead of all the profits going to the top person at the job or to the shareholders, they get evenly distributed among all the workers, ask a worker how they would feel about that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask them. And I bet you, nine times out of ten, they're going to go, well, that sounds like a great deal. I think I would love that. And that's why I'm such in favor for it. Let's go to the chat. All right. Roger says, I used to work in IT. We dealt with Cisco network and equipment responsible for getting data from one point to another. That is what you don't see in the cloud. Different than Cisco, make sure you say Cisco with an S. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Cisco with an S. Roger, thank you so much for the super chat. Says what I just said in the chat is for those just listening. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you're listening on podcast, then it is Cisco with an S. So, yes. S-Y-C. I'm sorry. S-Y-S-C-O. Cisco. Uh, but yes, that's what I'm referring to. All right, so let me see what this is. Oh, I see. All right, thanks, Yep X. I see it. That's uh that's a different subject, but thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Peculiar Egregor says, I used to be IT at Roger Meadows till my mind finally broke. Only contracts available, so now I kick it by myself in a warehouse, but it's full-time with benefits half of what I used to make. Yepek says, by the way, I used to work for Cisco, had many warehouse jobs. They fired me for being too slow. They were similar to Amazon where they pushed you to take, pushed, punished you for taking bathroom break, getting water, etc. Wow. Really? Cisco treated you like that? Man. Yeah. Gregor says, sometimes I wonder if our government really hates us citizens. That's a good question. Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga Forest Dweller says, I hope everyone realized that we have lost the front so far by sleeping. We are years behind the corporate coup. And if we keep taking our sweet ass time to plan and strategize how to take America back. Yeah. Pachico Roan says, didn't the NLRB order strikers to compensate an employer for losses sustained during a recent strike? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think that was, uh, I think they were trying to do that in the UK, but I think they're also trying to do that here in the United States. I'm not sure. Um. Liam Dora says we need to own the land, become the landlords. I I say just be one with the land. Uh, Baba Yager Forstwell says we have a Supreme Court allowed to be picked by presidents. What the f is that? It makes it political, and it goddamn should have nothing to do with anything political. Steve Donsinger just found that out. <sighs> Wow. Oh, YouTube doesn't show this as live? Really? Holy crap. I did not know that. Actually, I'm watching myself live right now. But hang on. Let me see. Let me go on my channel. Oh, it's not even showing it live right now. It just says upcoming. That's interesting. I wonder why that is. It says upcoming, but it's, huh. Well, that's some shady stuff. Thanks. I'll let, I'll let them out, know at RBN. That might also be happening across the board. I'm not exactly sure. Extra says the government does hate 99% of its citizens. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is shady. Yeah. But yeah, so this also could be affecting how many people are watching live. I mean, the live counter is not working. Yipper 99, is that moose or something? In my hair? No, it's just water. Water, baby. Water. And then do my thing. Nope. No moose. <laughs> so let's go to Rockfin. I know it's playing on Rockfin. Better. If it knows what's good for it. All right. Let's go. That got me off my game today. Goodness gracious. All these different technical things happening. Anyway, let's go. All right. So thanks for the tip. Roger says, don't get it twisted. Cisco Systems needs to be cooperatized also. So we can bring manufacturing of their network interleaving equipment back to the United States. A while back, watching a program on 2020 Nightline Dateline that said, due to us U.S. sorry, due to us manufacturing them in China, they put spy chips on circuit boards of this very equipment that has trillions of data traversed through it daily. Yes, Congress is worried about tick. Yet Congress is worried about TikTok. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. My thing is, it's like, if they, if China really wanted to get their hands on our data, they've had ample opportunity to do it. And the thing is, is that a lot of U.S. companies, corporations have hands all over our data, too. They have their dirty, nasty, stinky, filthy hands all over our data, too. So it's like, what else? You know, I mean, you, you guys are literally watching me right now. I mean, that algorithm is showing you guys me. So, I mean, they have some data. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you know, democratizing these workplaces is extremely important. I think is, you know, basically your sentiment. And I think I, I share the same thing. We really need to democratize this. Get JB to quote coming to America. Uh, my son works. What is he now? No, do not alert him to my presence. I shall deal with him myself. Sorry, Fairy says, way off topic, bestie, but you were able to watch Rant and do hate me. Oh no, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. Yikes. I forgot to watch Rant. I'm sorry. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, man. There's a lot of things that I don't get to do. I just, my brain. And then at dialysis, I'm just like, you know. Holistic Radical says, I guess the government doesn't care about us enough to hate us as long as we're compliant. When we make trouble for them, then they hate us. That's a really good point. All right. So that's what's going on with Cisco. Um, oh, wait, I forgot. 
and I forgot to put this in. This whole thing got me off my game today. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, there was uh, something that I also want to show. I'm not done with Cisco yet. I ain't done with you yet. All right, so. Let's go here. Let me enlarge this. Because people, a lot of people will sit here and go, well, we just need to vote for people that's going to hold Cisco accountable. All right? And it's like, we need to democratize Cisco. Cisco with an S. This is from their investors, right? Fiscal year 2022 results. Sis sales for fiscal year 2022 were $68.6 with a B. An increase of 33.8% compared to the prior year. Gross profit increased 31.7% to 12.3 billion and gross margin decreased 29 basis points to 18% compared to each case to the prior year. The gross increase in profit for the year was primarily driven by higher volumes and higher rates of inflation that were effectively managed. Operating expenses increased 2.1 billion or 26% compared to the prior year, driven by increased volumes, expenses associated with investments to drive our transportation initiatives and snapback and productivity-related costs. The just operating expenses increased 1.9 billion or 23.6% compared to the prior year. So sales for fiscal year were over $68 billion. They increased over 30 3%. That's how much money Cisco is making. Cisco's making a lot of money. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. So let's, oh, dear God. And then on top of it, Let's go to now we've seen how much they've been pulling in, right? The president, CEO, Kevin Horkin gets over $13 million in total compensation per year, by the way. But let's look at Cisco as far as Oh, I already opened that. Like I said, I'm off my game today. Let's share the screen today, right now. All right, so you know our friends over there at Open Secrets. I will keep 
Your secrets. All right. This is for Cisco. Look at the divide. Party of recipients. Republicans received 67.85% of the donations, whereas Democrats received 32.15. So if you see this, and take a look. It shows that Democrats received so they donate to all parties both parties the unit party so three thousand dollars to the national republican senatorial committee right then we're going to look at $5,000 to Lizzie Fletcher, $3,500 to Marco Rubio, $2,500 to Lisa Murkowski, $2,500 to Roger Wicker, $2,500 to Tim Scott, $2,500 to Henry Quaylar. Wait, isn't he the one that's anti-choice? He's a Democrat and he's anti-choice? Pro-forced birth? Henry Quaylar? Really? You know Allegra Cole? Okay. Sorry, that was a quote from uh, the movie Hitch. I love that movie. But yeah, $2,500 to Henry Quaylar. Right? $2,500 to holding our majority pack. $2,500 to Ron Wyden. $2,000 to John Boozman. $2,000 to the Massachusetts Democratic State Committee. $2,000 to Mitt Romney. $2,000 to Drew Ferguson. $2,000 to Jody Arrington and Jerry Moran. So, yeah. Let's look at the next one, the next page. All right? Somebody donated $3 to Cory Booker. I'll be working for them. We're probably working for uh, Cisco. But yeah. It's just sad. All right, so Pacheco really says NLRB orders Alabama coal miners to pay $13 million to Warrior Met Coal in August. Yeah. What he says, if you're nice to us, you too can get some of that sweet, sweet Cisco dough. 
Ursuli says, Quailar, is, Quailar, my neighbor district congressman, and is under federal investigation still. Alex said, it's like when I send $20 to a cause I support, but this guy sends thousands to hundreds of different places. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy, man. This is why I think we need to really, you know, uh, focus on actions like Worker Strike Back and, you know, do more mutual aid because organizing because these people are literally trying to make sure that we own nothing and be happy. Okay, so let me check. All right. Now, we can go to our final story. So, Egypt plus bricks. Can I get to the bricks? Sweet bricks. Show me the way, because I got bills to pay. Okay. He's <laughs> sorry. I'm so stupid. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. Why the hell are you guys watch this show? Anyway, so, yes. If you guys know anything about bricks, um, then... Egypt is trying to join. So I am going to share this information. First, I'm going to share you guys what in the hell is bricks. So let me make sure I pause this right in time because it's a YouTube short and they do. All right. Let me see. All right, so let's share the screen so you guys know what this is. All right. So, Bricks or Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, is a group of five leading emerging economies. Bricks emerged in 2001 as BRIC and was later joined by South Africa in 2010. The group became a formal geopolitical entity from 2009 onwards, with summits and coordination of policies. The Bricks countries account for around 27% of the world's land surface and approximately ultimately 42% of the global population. The grouping is considered a a competitor to the G7 bloc, with competing institutions and initiatives in the areas of development economics, financial reserves, currencies and payments. What is BRICS? BRICS, or Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, is a group of five leading emerging economies. BRICS so that's basically what BRICS is. And so it consists of these different countries that are really uh, trying to emerge on the world stage and break away from 
Western hegemony as we speak, which is vital to them because they don't want to be under their thumb anymore, which I honestly do not blame them because who in the hell would want to be under their thumb anymore because they've been, uh, they have been just an oppressive force. I mean, it's not just the United States, but it's also, you know, France and Germany and a lot of other member states that are constantly trying to, you know, make it so that, you know, all the wealth goes straight to them and people are just tired of it. Uh, so that's uh, one of the reasons why BRICS is so important, especially to the global north. I'm sorry, to the global south. Uh, it's a threat to the global north. And so this is what's going on right now. And I'm just trying to get the link to the article. All right, so I'm going to show you guys this article really quick about the story. And this is going to mean something, uh, you know, specific as far as moving away from a multipolar world to, I'm sorry, from a unipolar world to a multipolar world. So it says Egypt becomes a member of BRICS new development bank. So it says joins the original five members plus Bangladesh and United Arab Emirates and acquiring a position within the BRICS bank equity. And a surefire move that can be expected to usher Egypt as a full member of the BRICS grouping, Cairo has taken an equity position within the new development bank. Previous equity was divided equally among the initial members, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. It makes Egypt the first new member of the proposed expanded BRICS Plus along with Bangladesh and the UAE. The new development bank was set up by BRICS nations on the basis of intergovernmental agreements signed at the sixth BRICS summit in Fortezella in July 2014. The, ND, the NBD approved Egypt's accession in December of 2021, while in September 2021, a similar decision was made regarding the United Arab Emirates, Uruguay, and Bangladesh. With the exception of Uruguay, they all become members of the bank this month after jumping through the necessary hoops. The bank's goal is to finance infrastructure projects and sustainable development projects in BRICS, member states, and developing countries. The bank previously received a AA-plus rate in international credit rating from Fitch Ratings and S&P Global Ratings, allowing it to effectively attract long-term funding on international and long local capital markets. Since founding, the bank has approved more than 90 projects totaling $32 billion in support in such areas as transportation, water, clean energy, digital and social infrastructure, as well as urban construction. Several other countries have also experienced interest, expressed interest in joining BRICS grouping. An overview of these can be viewed here. So, 
Uh, Egypt has a population of 104 million. It says Egypt is an energy and agricultural play with important exports, including petroleum and petroleum products, followed by raw cotton, cotton yarn and textiles, raw minerals, minerals and chemical products and capital goods are all also exported. Among agricultural exports are rice, onions, garlics, and citrus fruits. Now I'm hungry. Egypt is a member of the Arab trade zone, which also includes Algeria, Bahrain, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Libya, Morocco, Oman, Palestine, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Syria, Tunisia, UAE, and Yemen. Egypt is also a member of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which reduces tariffs to zero to nine or 98% of all intra-African trade. So basically, no, thank you. So basically what this means is that they are joining up with other members. And this is going to mean quite a bit of trouble for the United States, especially. They don't want this. And of course, you know, uh, this means, you know, could this mean curtains for the corporations, especially? Uh, you know, it, you know, that remains to be seen, but I mean, they get it. So, dear God, just stay paused. Okay. Let's show this really quick, just so that it gives us a little bit more synopsis. U.S. dollar and the euro, the BRICS countries have already shifted to using their own local currencies. A shared payment network is one of the financial infrastructure projects being undertaken by BRICS. In this context, Egypt's accession to the BRICS group only strengthens the de-dollarization drive. It is well known how the U.S. leverages its economic might to further its foreign policy objectives. The U.S. has a history of often placing sanctions on nations that don't share its objectives. The potential to have major influence over other economies is made possible by the petrodollar's dominating position in the global economy. The name BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, five of the world's largest rising economies. Jim O'Neill, an economist at Goldman Sachs, first referred to the first four as BRIC or the BRICS in 2001. O'Neill used the phrase to indicate rapidly expanding economies that will collectively control the world economy by 2050. South Africa was included in 2010. However, before we continue, kindly return the favor by liking, subscribing, and activating the bell notification feature to stay up to speed with business, economic affairs shaping global climate, and our civilization. Along with Argentina and Iran, Egypt has also indicated interest in joining the BRICS. According to Mohammed Abdel Hamid, vice chairman of the Economic Committee of the Egyptian Parliament, Egypt gains from joining the BRICS and its development bank. The de-dollarization movement is being embraced by an increasing number of nations worldwide. Major economies like China, India, and the EU are already significant players in this. Now it appears that Africa is also determined to keep up. In a noteworthy development, the Egyptian parliament has approved the agreement that enables Egypt to formally join the new development bank established by BRICS, which was created by Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, BRICS, in 2014. Days after Egypt's President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi visited India as the chief guest for the Republic Day celebrations, we will benefit from the bank's financial and technical assistance in areas of sustainable development, health, 
infrastructure, transport, water, and telecommunications, said Abdul Hamid. Egypt's joining of the BRICS Group's new development bank will also relieve the state budget of the pressure of finding U.S. dollars to meet the country's imports as members of the bank can use their national currencies in exchange for trade, said Abdel Hami. Egypt thereby joins the BRICS new development bank as the second nation from Africa, with the BRICS attempted to dollarize gaining traction. In an effort to lessen their reliance on the U.S. dollar and the euro, some BRICS nations have already shifted to using their own local currencies. Let me ask you guys this, and... You know, just shooting out at the dark. What are the odds that more African nations join BRICS? Because, I mean, you already have South Africa. Egypt's trying to get in. It kind of sounds like, okay, they're part of the, you know, the banking apparatus. But if they go full in on BRICS, right? What's to say that you know, Morocco or Tanzania or Zimbabwe or Burkina Faso or Nigeria, what if they decide? What if Somalia decides? You know, what if what if Congo, the, D, <laughs> the DRC, what if they decide to join BRICS? What if Uganda decides to join? Oh my God! Uganda—they just—I think they discover over a trillion dollars worth of gold in Uganda. What if they decide to join BRICS? See, here's the thing, and maybe this is my brain, but I view Africa as the world's pantry because if you. Look at Africa. It has so many resources that the world, as far as imperialist nations, they pull from Africa all the time. It's like a family going in and you see, oh, we got some Twizzlers in the fridge. Oh, we got some, we got some hot pockets in there. Oh, you know, you want some. Go ahead and get, you know, some mac and cheese, you know, the microwavable mac and cheese that's in there. Oh, want some little Debbie cakes? Go into the pantry. Like, that's Africa. It's like we're constantly digging in and pulling out of Africa, right? But you know they're tired. You and I know that they are sick and tired of imperialism and colonialism constantly happening in their countries. And a lot of the people are just sick and tired of seeing, you know, France living off and leeching off of Africa. You're tired of seeing the UK leech off of Africa. You're tired of seeing, you know, the United States constantly trying to tell Africa what to do. What are the what are the odds? Like, like, do you think it's 20%? Do you think it's 15? Do you think it's 30? I, I, I'm thinking within the next 10 years, and this is just me shooting at the dark, at least five more African nations are going to join BRICS within the next seven to eight years. I think it's going to pick up steam. I think it's actually going to have a rolling effect. And the United States is going to get more and more anxious. 
Because you already got Saudi Arabia trying to join. That is massive. Saudi Arabia? Man. Look. I think the United States, is, and by the United States, I mean not just the the government. I mean the corporations, the corporate dictators. I think they're shaking in their boots. They're seeing that they're I'll put it this way, and I said this to a family member regarding relationships, but this applies to the world as far as how they deal with the United States. When you're tired enough, that's when you take action. I think the world is tired enough. And they started being tired enough back in the past. But then what ends up happening is you have a bunch of people who say they're in a group and they're tired of some person doing all this abusive stuff. When one person starts to stand up against the bully, that's when everybody starts to look and they go, well, okay, let, let me join in. Oh, they're, oh, Russia's joining. Okay. China, China joins up. They're like, okay, yeah, let, let me, let me stand up to the bully. Then you get other ones, you know, and they start to stand up to the bully too. Cause they're tired of being pushed around. And so it's just like that group mentality when one person stands up to the oppressive force because they're that one person and everybody else is being oppressed by them. Well, people start to go, we can take them down. There's more of us. Why not? And so I think that's what's happening here. This The world is standing up to this imperialist power. And it's not just the United States, it's the West. I, I, I kind of think of the United States as the goons. And I said this before, anybody that's watched Back to the Future, the United States is Biff. And the rest of Biff's goons are the Western nations that surround Biff. And you just need that one country, that one country with that ball of fist that pissed off at seeing Lorraine get violated. And then you see the United States, AKA Biff laughing. And then he goes, bow, right in the kisser, right? Knocks him out. Like they say, in soccer, goal, right? And I think that's what's happening right now. I think there are so many people that are tired. <laughs> United States of Biff. What are you looking at, butthead? That's what the United States always does. You know, like they go into DPRK. What are you looking at, butthead? They look at Cuba. What are you looking at, butthead? Right? Anyway. Let's.
Let's continue. This is this is interesting. A shared payment network is one of the financial infrastructure projects being undertaken by BRICS. In light of this, Egypt's decision to join the BRICS group only strengthens the de-dollarization movement. What is de-dollarization? De-dollarization refers to the process of lessening the dominance of the dollar on international markets by using the U.S. dollar instead of other currencies and transactions involving oil and slash or other commodities, the purchase of U.S. dollars for foreign exchange reserves, bilateral trade agreements, and dollar-denominated assets. Since the Bretton Woods system was established, the U.S. dollar has been the primary trading currency. However, a number of nations like India, China, Australia, and Russia, among others, have begun to switch over to trading in their own national currencies in recent years. Why de-dollarization? De-dollarization is being pursued in order to protect member nations' central banks from geopolitical dangers. The petrodollar is currently used in roughly 60% of central banks' foreign exchange reserves and nearly 70% of all worldwide trade. Although the United States produces roughly 20% of the global GDP, more than 50% of all global currency reserves and commerce are in dollars. Concerns have been raised about how the U.S. has armed the dollar to protect its interests. Through sanctions, the U.S. can target specific individuals, groups, companies, or an entire nation. The strong dollar is to blame for the skyrocketing price of imported food, gasoline, and medication in nations like Nigeria and Somalia. It also doesn't look good for heavily indebted nations like Egypt and Kenya, who are being forced into bankruptcy as a result of the stronger dollar. So you really can't sanction that much if these sanctions don't have that much of an effect. That's interesting, man. This is just, this is wild. I think we need to keep an eye on the world stage and see what happens. There are a lot of people who are also keeping an eye on what's going on. I'm trying to increase my knowledge of foreign policy, as you guys can tell. And so this stuff is really interesting because it's really going into the world is finally saying no. And so because they're saying no, it's an opportunity for us. You know, so I am happy that the United States is kind of getting this comeuppance. Yes, I am a resident. Yes, I am a citizen. Do I want our people to suffer? No. But they use these same tactics to their own people. I honestly do think that the world has to come together and a lot of these countries are more open and they do listen to their citizens a lot more than even the United States government does. The United States doesn't want you to know that, but they do. go a little bit more and then we'll finish meanwhile mervit matter another legislator shared abdul views hamids on egypt's possibilities when it enters BRICS. in her remarks after the pact's approval matter described BRICS as a group that will aid in reducing the dominance of the dollar 
The BRICS group is an essential forum that may move the international economy away from American dominance and the U.S. currency. Matter is quoted as saying, Matter allegedly used the Ukraine crisis and its influence on Egypt's import bill to back up her case. Meanwhile, Ahmed El-Awadi, the president of Parliament's Military and National Security Committee, stated that the measure will open up new markets for Egyptian agricultural and industrial exports. Although it is too early to say whether such a coalition will be effective in de-dollarizing the global economy, given the respective countries' geopolitical concerns, in times of changing global geopolitics, addressing U.S. dollar hegemony and reducing currency shocks caused by the U.S. dollar has become a shared priority for an increasing number of countries. Many additional nations, including Argentina, Algeria, Iran, Indonesia, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia, have shown interest in joining the BRICS group. Following Egypt's admission to the bloc, it appears that Africa will assist the de-dollarization movement. As a reminder, the BRICS Bank was established in 2014 by its member countries. The financial institution regularly allocates funds to alliance states for infrastructure and sustainable development projects. As a reminder, the BRICS Bank was established in 2014 by its member countries. The financial institution regularly allocates funds to alliance states for infrastructure and sustainable development projects. So that's an important piece, right? Because the thing is, is that, uh, you know, the IMF and the World Bank, they will lend out money. But they also say, oh, you guys only could use this money for these types of projects and they'll hold them to that. You know, and really, it's really for enriching the corporations instead of for the people. From what I am observing from what BRICS is doing, and anybody can correct me if they need to, but BRICS is saying, okay, you guys need infrastructure for your people. You guys need these jobs, you know, to build up your countries for your people. It's not really to build up our corporations in any particular country, but it's for you to use for your country for your own benefit. And so it's like being inside of a club and then they all pull their money and it's like, okay, you need help here. All right, you need help here. Then you guys use the money in this pool and, you know, we'll continuously help you guys out while we invest and the money grows. And then you guys can use this for, let's be, say, building more sustainable housing or building more um, irrigation for your, for your country or you know, building more better roads for your country, building, you know, better, you know, bridges and things like that. So really it's, it's helping out these nations that are constantly being under the thumb of the United States because they don't play ball the way the United States actually wants them to. And I think this is very important. So, yeah. In 2019, for example, Russia and the NDB signed an agreement under which the bank loaned Russia $320 million to fund the development of water supply and sanitation systems in Russian cities project. This year, the lending institution approved five new projects totaling $875 million in water, sanitation, ecotourism, and transportation. The investment will assist Brazil, China, and India in meeting their Sustainable Development Goals commitments, SDGs. The BRICS countries previously announced that they were working to create a cooperative payment network in order to reduce their reliance on the Western financial system. Additionally, the member nations have been using more local currencies in their bilateral trade. 
The Russian ruble has had the best year of any currency in the world this year, increasing in value by an average of over 30% despite sanctions and a break in SWIFT service. And this is the part where the U.S. sanctions have, they tried to screw over Russia and it just backfired. So it's kind of funny how the United States will do what it can to go up against Russia. And <laughs> Russia said, I bet. And now, you know, you have these countries that are importing, you know, from Russia that are using the ruble instead. And they're like, yeah, we, we don't need your dollar. For what, you know, what dollar? We don't need it. Man, this is. Yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering how this is going to even have an effect on the 2024 elections, man. This is going to be interesting. Like, what do you think? You know, this is going to be this is going to be wild. I'm not going to do the entire video, but I'm just curious. Wow. All right. So let me go to the chat. I'm going to start off with Rockfin first. And then we'll go to the general chat here. Okay. Thanks for the tip on Rafi and Roger says, he says, everything you said is precisely why I'm hesitant to get all on board for Worker Strike Back. Nick says he's done with reforms to the system and wants transformation, but fails to recognize that unions are a reform to the capitalist system. We are leaving Boss Hog in his place, guaranteeing future struggle between the two. Plus 99% of worker strike back rhetoric is unions and mentioned co-op ownership is only like saying, oh yeah, that too. I get what you mean. Yeah. I understand that. I want to talk more about co-op ownership too. I think that we can talk about both. I would like to see a organization like Workers Strike Back, but they also focus heavily on that. They, they have more of a heavier focus on co-ops. I would like to see that um, so that we can also focus on that more too. I think unions are a little bit more acceptable because more people know about unions and you can kind of use that as a way to go into co-ops. But yeah, I, I see exactly what you mean. Um, it's like they're good and they're in their in the right direction, but we want more worker ownership. Thanks for that. Roger continues says, you know how many rank and file members I hear complaining about their leadership? They sound like us complaining about politicians. I asked one member why you guys celebrate getting a one dollar raise. I mean forty dollars extra a week. He laughs saying, yeah, but that covers the union dues. I say unions in the public sector, cooperative ownership in the private sector, but make government unions accountable to me members and taxpayer voters. 
by putting what they wish to negotiate for the ballot for to the ballot so we the voters can decide instead of negotiating with governors and mayors etc make them accountable to their members by having their members vote whether or not to recertify every couple of years i'm from new york state the biggest union state in the country and i will tell you it is them who are fighting us to passing the new york healthcare act not insurance sex leadership owns stock in their companies making bank for selling to members unions are representative democracy while co-ops are direct democracy that's a good quote so i'm seeing when unions are not riddled with corruption betraying their members by getting into bed with the executive whether that be executive branch or government or a corporate executive they are looking out for their members not workers and when they're corrupted they are looking out for themselves not their members you i are the broader community helping to deny us health care or anyone else if we're going to fight for workers in the broader community, we have to make a decision on what will be the vehicle to we use. You can't fight a 21st century villain, a.k.a. automation with 20th century weapons, a.k.a. union. A co-op will not vote to outsource or replace themselves with robots. Sorry if I sound a little salty on unions, but I have a friend die last month. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. The guy who introduced me to New York State politics and the New York Health Act said it would help with the colon cancer he eventually succumbed to. Just saying unions are not the only way to fight on behalf of the workers. 99% of our worker-friendly rhetoric should be skewed towards co-ops and make government unions accountable to their members and voters. And believe me when I tell you, Jay, Government unions got vice grip on Albany, New York State Capitol, especially the teachers union and DC 37 who are all for the New York Health Act when GOP controlled the New York State Senate since the 60s. Retired Assemblyman Godfrey introduced it in 92 when the GOP took over the Senate in 2009. They were against it and been against since. Wow. Yeah, that's the only thing that um, that I am hesitant with when it comes to unions is that a lot of times union leadership will be corrupted against the rank and file unions. And so it's kind of a, you know, you have to be careful versus if workers actually were, you know, worker owners then that's a whole different story. So I get exactly what you mean, Roger. You know, this is why I think, you know, focusing more on worker co-ops is, you know, it is not as popular, but it is something that people need to hear more about. So I think that it is uh, a good point that you made there. 
All right, so going to the chat. Raziel the Great says it's almost as if, so I'm sorry, it's almost like these countries just want to trade and have some money for their people, and we all know they do dumb s. No government is perfect, but the one thing they have in common is anti World War Three. Yeah. And Raziel the Great continues, says, leave it to the rest of the world to be the superheroes in this timeline. Gamer for Life says, other developed countries have universal health care. That's true. Sean Miller says, I think CERN caused a merge of universes because this ish ain't right. Bill Bradley uh, says, I think it was Lenin that shifted the belief in communism that revolution would come from the developed nations and instead it would come from the oppressed nations. Let me ask you something, Bill. Do you think that the, the work that, you know, a lot of us are trying to do here in the United States, do you think it's really our duty to really just weaken the United States so that a true revolution, workers' revolution can happen? Or do you think it will come within these these nations? I, I'm trying to figure that out. I, I would like to talk to some people who are more versed in theory about this, but I feels like it's going to be one of the two. But I feel like it it might be kind of stronger if it comes from within versus just being weakened from within. You know what I mean? Bill continues, says, essentially, people have been saying the revolution will come from the global south for a very long time. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I see what you mean. Marx did think it would come from the developed nations, but more and more, it seems Lenin was correct and Marx was wrong. Interesting. This is some interesting. Bill Bradley says unions don't require financing. Co-ops do. Unionizing is way easier. Do the one that is easier. That's a point. Yeah. Because if, a, let's say a corporation you know, wants to give it over. Dear God, I went out for a second. Am I back? Do you guys see me? My internet like literally shut off at for a point. Hang on, let me see. Oh, it's all good. Okay, thank God. Whew. My internet went out for a second. That that's scary. All right. Yeah. Uh, Bill says, I think we should fight like we're going to spark the revolution and it would weaken the U.S. Okay. All right. 
Raziel says, what will Americans do when they force us into the government's crypto? I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think they're I think they're just digitizing their current money. I think that's what's happening right now. Uh, Janice says, if all the workers at Toys R Us each put up just five hundred dollars, they could have purchased the company and turned it into a working co-op. Yeah, but the question is, how many people have five hundred dollars to just to that they have? You know what I mean? Because they still have their rent, their electric, their food to buy. They still have kids. They still have their transportation. That's the only thing, man. It's like, this is why I don't discount unions. Because it's like, it's something. You know what I mean? Unions are like, to me, they're like, They're like a salad with romaine lettuce, right? And while that's good, to me, co-ops are a salad that has spinach and kale in it too, right? You know what I mean? It's more dense as far as nutrients. So my thing is, is like, it's a step in the right direction and it still can be a good thing. But it's not as, you know, strong as far as, you know, it's not as strong as worker ownership. I, if that makes any sense. Uh, Liam says, I think Americans are waiting for the green light from someone in a leadership position. See, that's the thing. We can't wait for somebody in a leadership position because it's not going to happen. Like, and a lot of people think well, we need someone who's charismatic that's going to lead us. And I'm like, I think that's the problem. We're looking for a leader. And it's like, no. And the thing is, it's like, we need we need counselors, right? In, in a sense, to keep us on message. It's like, okay, what do you want? This is what you want. Okay, stay on that message. Let's go. But as far as somebody that gives us the ideas, it's like we're I'm not looking for a philosopher king or queen. I'm looking for the people to determine, you know, everything themselves. I want us to have self-determination, not to be ruled over. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And I think we're 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 constantly and this is the whole thing with the whole Marion Williamson thing. And I'll get into that in a second. Baba Yaga Forest Dwelly says, I will never stop pushing how your life depends on you. Stop expecting other entities to keep your stomachs full and healthy. Corporations have fooled and pulled us away from ourselves into them instead. And yeah, you're, you're basically saying what I'm saying. And so the thing is that a lot of people are getting excited about Marianne Williamson. And my thing is, I'm like, why are you looking towards this, this philosopher and, you know, to basically be the head of government? By the way, like I said, the president is only the managing person of the country for on behalf of the corporate dictators, right? 
you still have judges, right? And they'll be like, well, this person can appoint judges. And I'm like, yes, this person can appoint judges, but only when the judge positions become vacant. And it takes years and years before these effects will take place, number one. Number two, you also have to realize state and municipal governments exist. We can't we we have to get this this mindset out of our heads that the president of the United States is the ruler of the country. They are no, they are just an executive, meaning you also have state governments and municipalities and county governments as well that also oversee your life. So if we really want to change things, it has to be upon us in order to change these things. We can't just say, oh, well, once we elect this president and then once we get, even if you elect the president, even if you get a fully, a Congress that's fully on board, and even if you get a Senate that's fully on board, you still have to deal with Supreme Court. You still have to deal with, with appellate courts and circuit courts. You still have to deal with Supreme Courts in each state. You still have to deal with the attorney generals in these states. You have to deal with so many different factors. So... The thing is, is that you have to build these apparatuses from the bottom up. People keep trying to go top down. And some of these, some of these channels will keep trying to sell you on top down shit. They will keep doing it saying, oh, we just need to start at the top and then we can move our way down. No, 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 no. Because here's the thing. Every single time they have tried to go top down, it fails. Why? Because they would, you know what I'm saying? That's what happens. We need to do bottom up because the thing is, is nobody ever builds a house starting with the roof. You have to start with the foundation. Foundation first. FF, foundation first, baby. And the thing is that everybody keeps saying, oh, we just got to start at the top. I'm like, no, no. And this is why they murdered MLK. They murdered Malcolm X. They murdered Fred Hampton. They got Asada Shakur out in, you know, they have her in exile. They have people like, they have people, you know, that are in prison. Why? Because that foundation was being laid. Why in the world, hang on, why in the world do we have free lunch and breakfast programs in the United States, period. It's because it was influenced by the Black Panther Party. And since they didn't want the rest of the country to look to them as the shining beacon and the shining example of that we can actually do something different, the United States said, okay, we need to co-opt this and then implement it into our government so they won't ask for this stuff anymore. And so that's what happened. And so this is why it's important to start from the bottom up. This is why organization is so important. This is why I play from time to time what Kwame Ture said, that every prolific and prodigious leader that has ever existed within this country and even outside of this country, was part of an organization. And so we need to do that in order to come together. 
so that we can get like-minded individuals and then plan and then create dual power. But that's part of the process. And so when we say give to mutual aid instead of these politicians, especially those of us are RBN, it means stop funding these people who don't listen to you. Fund the people, not the corporate dictators or their lackeys. Some of them are going to run to distract you, to keep your eye off the ball. They're going to distract you and take your $27 and put it into their app blue. Don't give them to app blue. Stop it. Like, really? And so that's the thing. I'd rather my $27 go to get somebody some milk, bread, eggs, cheese, some grits. I'd rather my $27 go to that. I'd rather my $27 go to somebody's rent. I'd rather my $27 go to somebody being able to build a system so that we can have maybe some free health care outside of the apparatus that the corporate dictators try to push us towards, like having maybe a free clinic or something like that. I'd rather my $27 go to Rome while he's building the library. I'd rather go to that, not somebody that's going to suspend it on these consultants to tell you the same shit that they've been telling everybody else for the last 60, 70 years. That's what it is. I don't want to waste my money. I want to return on my investment. If I'm going to invest in the people, I want to return on that investment. And that return means people who have fuller bellies that aren't going thirsty, that aren't homeless, that have education, that have actual public safety. That's what I want. And it has to start now before we ever get to a point where we have a system that we want. You got to start on that system now. Good point, Roger Meadows. Thank you. I'd rather my money go to support ballot initiatives. That's another point. Direct democracy. So, yeah. I'm over time. But thank you so very much, everybody, for, you know, coming in and chatting with me. Um, oh, by the way, I, I see it, Roger. I see it. You don't need to send me another super chat for that one. <laughs> I see it. Roger says, that's why you push public banks who work hand, hand in hand with worker co-ops to find them, which leads to why it is important to use CBIs, a.k.a. citizen ballot initiatives, to amend your state constitution to charter public banks. It all works in perfect symmetry. Thank you. Thanks for explaining that to me, too, because I need it. But, yeah. Thank you so very much for everybody for watching today. I'm not sure how many people are watching, but please make sure to hit the like button. And if you have not subscribed, please make sure to subscribe. You know, it means a lot and, you know, it helps me grow and it helps me get these types of subjects out there. 
Also, by the way, I'll be getting to reading the books this week. Um, I just read Asad Shakur's autobiography, Chapter 9, which was a really deep episode, by the way. If you guys have not, take a look at that one. But also, I'll be covering Laziness Does Not Exist by Dr. Devon Price. I'll be reading more of that this week and getting into Part 2 of Chapter 1. Also, just a big thank you to all the people who you know donate to my Patreon, Coffee, as well as members. Thank you so very much to everybody, to everybody. Thank you so very much to you guys. And also, 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 if you guys would like to be on the mailing list and go to my Substack, you guys can go to jbfont.substack.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and with that, I would just like to thank you guys. I got to run over to RBN because I got a story to tell y'all. I got some story. I got some stories. Now, look, like I said, water your plants, water yourselves, leave the world better than you found it. Look, and also, please make sure to support people who are trying to do for the people. Look, do not, do not waste your hard-earned money on people who are just going to tell you, they're going to tickle your ear, and then guess what? They don't do a damn thing for you. I I, I mean this, and the thing is, is like, just you worked hard for what you have. Put it to something that's actually going to benefit us as a society. Because guess what? If it benefits your neighbor, that means somehow, some way, someday, it's going to benefit you. And with that, forehead kisses. I know you were waiting for them. Yeah. Oh, by the way, love you.